0: It's the Lockdown Lowdown and I'm your host Andrew Stupart. Now as you can imagine my co-hosts they're pretty busy these days. I want to offer congratulations to Misha who's taken another opportunity with Disney. We wish him well. He won't be um, on the Lockdown Lowdown for a while but we we wish him all the best in his career. Alex is getting married in a couple weeks and he also has an eight-month-old daughter so he's pretty he's pretty busy. So I'm steering the ship tonight, and I'm privileged and honored to have Mr. Sean Whalen back with us again. How are you doing, Sean?
1: Hey, excellent. I'm excited to chat with you again, Andrew.
0: Amazing. And if and if these trends keep up, I think you may be become the new official, unofficial co-host of the Lockdown Lowdown. We, you never know.
1: There you go. You could uh, you could do better, but.
0: Uh, hey, don't downplay yeah. yourself, man. Don't don't. <laughs> hey, we don't we don't like that kind of attitude. It's just we have a can-do attitude here on the podcast. All right. So without further ado, I wanted to do a kind of a lightning round tonight. Um, as you guys know, with Misha and Alex and myself, typically we focus, we zoom in on a particular subject, which is all well and good. But tonight I'm changing things up and and there is a theme, but we're going to, you know, pick apart three different subcategories. And the theme tonight is Canada, eh? And, and the very exciting thing about this is that, you know, it is the uh, um, Queen Elizabeth II, her... Um, platinum jubilee if you can if you can comp you know imagine she has been on the throne as long as my parents my dad has been alive right well give or take a few years she ascended in 1953 well the current coronation was in 1953 she uh her father passed away in 52 i believe it was And so she's the longest reigning monarch in history. Charles has been sitting there patiently waiting for his entire life to ascend. You know, he's the heir apparent. And so, and so obviously there's a lot of, 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 you know, there's a big to do around her, her 70 years on the throne. Um, On top of that, Camilla and Charles are doing a tour in Canada right now. So I do want to address number one, the subject of how relevant is the monarchy in in modern Canadian society number one number two staying along the topic of Canadian politics Canadian identity I want to talk about the Ontario election that's going to be happening on June 2nd um, Dougie's up for he's the incumbent he's up for a second term it's projected that he may win a majority again but Andrea Horvath and Stephen del Duca um, are in there just you know, ready to go and, and give them a bit of a challenge. And then number three, I want to zoom in uh, a little bit on, on again, looking at the Canadian identity and OHIP and kind of, and kind of my criticisms around, you know, I love free healthcare. I mean, who doesn't love not paying a bill when they go to the doctor, but there's a couple of things I just kind of want to point out about OHIP here in Ontario. So Sean, thanks again for joining us. This is going to be the lockdown lowdown lightning round here we go so um as mentioned queen elizabeth rose uh ascended to the crown in uh and had the official coronation televised it was a huge to do back in 1953 was the official coronation she's the longest reigning monarch um at one point the british empire was the quote-unquote empire on which the sun never sets we're talking you know territory Commonwealth realms all over the world. The sun never sets on this place. And, and to me, it has that stigma of like colonialism or imperialism. And so here's my thing. And Sean, I'm going to get you to weigh in. I don't, I have no idea where, how you, how you feel about this, but I'm a proud Canadian. I'm proud of so many things about Canadian. IE, you know, we talked about healthcare earlier in the intro. Like I love our social our mixed market economy, our social safety net that we have here. I love our Canadian identity just in general, especially compared to like some of the culture that we see in the states. Uh, in general, I'm just I'm just you know very proud of of my identity as a Canadian. But something that I think you know, w- w- the last time that Canadians were polled, which was quite recently, there was a shift, um, and it, and this is one of the first times where we've seen the majority of Canadians actually not necessarily wanting to see the, the um, the, the, constitutional monarchy continue. Um, and it's nothing, and there's nothing again, it's nothing necessarily against the queen, um, or even necessarily the prince, uh, Prince Charles. It's, it's not that I have, or that Canadians necessarily have like these vendettas or angry, angry, like associations with those people. I mean, I, I, I think the ro- Royal family is just fine. I guess my question is, In a modern Canadian society, what place, if any, does a constitutional monarchy have in our current identity? So, Sean, I'll throw it over to you for your initial thoughts on that. Excuse me. Thoughts on that.
1: Um, You you know, I kind of have two sort of schools of thought on this. One is, um, yeah, like, get rid of it. We, you know, Canada could exist as an independent uh republic without uh the queen and i think things would be just fine there's plenty of arguments about you know the amount of money that uh, we spend and does you know does the queen really do anything what's the point of this and you know we got the governor general that uh uh you know basically just like calls an election when is when is asked to and that's kind of it <laughs> um so yeah so part of me is like yeah get rid of it get, burn it down um the other part of me is like you know what though is it broken? Do we need to fix it? Like, does it really matter? Like, if it's because it is complicated to try to uh, yep. undo yep. A, and sort of restructure our, our our government with that. And so, you know, maybe who cares? Maybe it's fine. And I don't know who we would put on the back of our money if we uh, if we got rid of the. There would uh, be a lot
0: of printing, re, uh, you know, a lot of costs that the mint to reprint all those bills for sure. No, and I and I have a similar mindset to you. So maybe this will be a very boring podcast because we might to smile <laughs> and nod at each other but that that's fine that's totally fine and I I kind of have that same thing you know my dad is of British a uh, British ancestry he's Scottish and so for me the, you know I have while I am proud to be a Canadian and I was born and I was born in Calgary raised in Ontario I, I I have you know grown up and lived here my entire life and I'm as I, as I said I have I'm proud of my Canadian Canadian identity. On the other hand, I also look to look at my roots, right? And my dad's side of the family is British, it's Scottish. And so there's a lot of history there. And so I am appreciative of my Scottish history, my British history. Um, but that said, I, 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 there's to me, there's like a disconnect between the two. Uh, excuse me. And then I think even furthermore, on top of that, there's this stigma, especially now with colonialism. and And I just, as much as I appreciate Maybe, you know, one could argue that that in some ways, maybe some societies did benefit from from colonialism. But for the most part, it's 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 really it's kind of a barbaric kind of taking over of, of one's people. Right. I mean, sure. I mean, maybe they're introducing new technologies to a certain region, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really a barbaric taking over of other people without without their consent you know like look at look at like look at our our indigenous relations and the damage that we at we and when I say we I'm talking you know white people and I don't want to generalize but like look at the damage that like Canadians did well Canadians did to the aboriginal community and like look at the, the 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 all the horrific stuff that happened there and kind of that history with the residential schools and and so if you think about how many different places how many different places around the world did the British do this to? And mm. I can't speak I can't speak to every single scenario because I don't have that much time to like research every single occupation that the British have had in every single territory. but you have to imagine that there's probably quite a bit of resistance to this colonialism or this imperialism. Um, and to me it's yeah, it's a little bit icky, it's messy and I don't know if Canada should necessarily, be associated with that. I mean, we've done, we, even, even now, like there's still, there's still a lot of tension with, with the, with the indigenous community. And, you know, frankly, they, they are owed an apology for, you know, even by the Pope for, for a lot of the stuff that the Catholic church did through the residential schools. So for me, I don't know if I want that, that, that relationship with with Britain just because of that the past that they have right and and we've taken measures I mean we there was the confederation of 1867 where we said hey we're not a colony anymore we want to separate ourselves and and the British still had quite a bit of power over us then you 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 move to I think it was the Westminster Act in 1931 I believe we take a little bit more independence we get our, you know, go forward um, a few decades later. We get our first flag, 1980, and then you have 1982, which was the final sort of act, you know, that we had, where basically, even, even, even then in 1982, we actually got rid of the the power that where the, the British could actually make changes or amendments to our constitution. So we've gotten rid of that. And we're more or less our own sovereign independent country. So I guess like, why, why, like, why, why is it still relevant to have a figurehead um, from another country?
1: I'm learning a few things by the way uh, here, but uh, I hope I'm right. I did. Yeah, well, I did
0: some, I did some mad Wikipedia before I started. So I hope that I'm, I'm nice. speaking the truth.
1: Well, Wikipedia is never wrong. Um, So, you know, you mentioned sort of um, like that it's kind of an outdated um, sort of idea, which it it certainly is. And if you think about the concept of, you know, like like Queen Elizabeth is the queen simply because she was born in that family. Right. Like, yeah. And, um, you know, the idea that, yeah, Charles and. Uh, I, I forget who the who's next in line after that and whatever, but William Prince William. Uh, okay. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it's kind of silly. And, and I'm also thinking about uh, Harry and Meghan and that whole thing where, hell, they don't even want to be part of the monarchy yes, anymore. They've stepped
0: away. They've yeah. stepped away.
1: So, um, yeah, it is kind of just a, a a weird sort of thing. And I think I guess the the question I have, maybe I'll ask this of you, but is like, what is the pro like what as Canadians what do we get out of you know being a part of the British um, uh, you know monarchy like having that part of our political system
0: so a quick quick correction here it's actually called the statute of Westminster from 1931 which again basically uh, gave Canada some additional powers Um, yeah so it's uh, just, just to go back and clarify that so yeah we have been kind of in these different acts here the 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 confederation and then the westminster act and then 1982 kind of separating ourselves and so so to answer your question i don't necessarily see a pro other than the fact that we would have to reprint all our money like you said but to me the only thing that we're gaining is you know a 500 million dollar no 500 thousand dollar, no what was it multi millions of dollars let's just put it that way in terms of a bill we're getting a bill for a royal right. visit that's what we're getting so when they come so so if 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 Prince William comes um or in this case um the the Duchess and 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 the prince prince um uh, the prince of Wales when they when they're on their tour right now we have to pay for their security we have to pay pay for their plane we have to pay for their food we have to pay for all these different measures just for them to come here and then they have to have transportation within the country and so what we're doing is we're paying a bill for these royals to come here and kind of say their, you know, say their piece, and and I understand there's a symbolic element of it, and 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 people have encouraged the prince, um, the prince of Wales, to kind of speak about Aboriginal issues while he's here, and so and and there's obviously lots of charity work that different royals. Within the royal family have done in their time, so they have done quite a lot in the community in different charities of their choice, and so, and 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 of course they have to provide a sense of hope, a sense of dignity, a sense of 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 togetherness and unity um, for the Canadian people, for the Australian people. The list goes on. Anyone who's w- within a Commonwealth, right? When with, while they're on these tours, right? But on the same side, it's like I don't really. I was looking in the, this up online. I don't really see what true value they're producing for this country. Um, Yeah. And it's,
1: and it's, the costs are a lot more than, than just their visits as well. Right. Like the governor general is the, you know, is is essentially the, you know, the the act on behalf of the queen in Canada. I mean, and and not just the governor general that's currently um, you know, holding that post, but also all the previous ones are still being paid um, by uh, you know, our our tax dollars and stuff for a position that is uh, you know, ceremonial and, Yes. Probably kind of kind of useless. So, um, yeah, get get rid of it all. I you know I think the other thing is too Andrew is, you know, we're talking about, you know, does it make sense in Canada? And obviously, other countries uh, have been having these discussions. I think oh, yeah. Barbados was the most recent. Yes, uh, country to uh, uh, to to get rid of their relationship with the with the Queen. Yes, and I would say that I think the days are numbered for. Mm. The, the monarchy in general, I could see a time where even in Britain, um, you know, they no longer, no longer have that because it really is kind of pointless. And the other it's thing outdated. is too. Sorry, what's that? No, I said it's outdated. Yeah, it's very outdated. Um, and on that note. You know you mentioned some of your connection to your Scottish history and and you know British uh roots and that sort of thing and and that's the other thing I mean you know many years ago Canadians had a deeper connection right there was it yes. was you know primarily European settlers well that's also changed a lot too right our 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 nation is much more multicultural um, than ever before and um, you know, likely is only going to continue that way. So you have, you know uh, you know, families and multiple generations that have, you know, uh, it's, it's no longer this like primarily um, you know, British or, or even European connection um, anymore. Right. It's, it's very much, much more multicultural and and, uh, and global yes
0: and, and yeah you make some great points there um and I was actually just doing another fact check just because I want you know even though it's just a conversation here on the lockdown lockdown I don't want to feel like I'm spewing spewing stuff out my ass so I it's actually called it was called the constitution act of 1982 which was again that final sort of uh I don't want to say nail in the coffin but it was that final you know move by the government to say you know what Britain you, this we're, we're still associated with you as a commonwealth nation but you have no further political influence over us and and I think that in itself speaks volumes right so if 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 the queen or the prince if or if the heir apparent prince charles when he does ascend and become king if he doesn't if him nor the 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 uh, british parliament have any influence over canadian politics they're essentially irrelevant. Number one, it's number one. Number two, I agree with you that like as much as I re- I respect Mary Simon, I mean I think I think Canada did very good a very good step forward at least symbolically with the Aboriginal community by um, you know appointing someone who's a who's aboriginal or sorry i should say native whatever the proper word is these days they 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 put it indigenous there we go they put an indigenous person in the highest point of office in canada which is huge that was a huge step forward and an act towards reconciliation so from that respect i have a lot of respect for like what they did there in terms of symbolically kind of trying to reconcile with the indigenous people um but i i think it's again it's kind of a, a waste of money because what she's doing is symbolically saying yes I'm going to dissolve Parliament or whatever but really the one who's doing everything is Justin Trudeau or whoever happens to be the prime minister or the premier or whatever it happens level mm-hmm. of government yeah. we're talking about and so I, I think especially now in a cost cutting time I mean, we're, we're in a we're in a high 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 deficit we're coming out of a pandemic um, we don't have money to spare I think I think, we could cut off those royal visits. We could we could save uh, maybe a million dollars or so on those royal visits. Um, and I think that if if we really dug in, there's I mean, if Barbados can do it, now mind you, their 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 constitution it, it was easier for them to do it because of how their government set up. It would be a little bit more complicated for us because we're so intertwined with the with the British. Um, culture, but I think, I think we could do it. And I, and I could very likely one day see a Republic of Canada.
1: And, and maybe, um, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to actually rethink other elements of our, of our government and how our democracy works. Um, you know, like, is there any purpose of having the Senate, you know, really, um, you know, could we, uh, eliminate that uh, and and I don't know I'm, I'm just making stuff up yeah, now, yeah. but like but it, I think if you know if, if if Canada does at some point make the decision to you know uncouple ourselves from you know the the British monarchy uh, then I think that there's an opportunity for a larger sort of um, you know reevaluation of how our uh, our democracy works.
0: Well, I mean, the Senate's supposed to be a house of second sober thought, right? So I think I think the idea behind the Senate is we we elect our representatives in the House of Commons and those are our, our MPs or our MPPs depending if it's provincial or 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 federal, right? Um and so you 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 have those elected bodies, right? But then I think the Senate's now, I know what you're going to say. There's there's an element Useless. of, OK, well, I think it's, it's the term they're, I people, they're 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 appointed. So it's like, OK, yeah. there's a whole bunch of controversy, controversy yeah. around how senators are appointed, how they actually get into that position. But I think for me. Putting aside like how they get there, I mean, maybe maybe they should be elected, but I but the whole idea, I think, is that there's two houses and the and the upper house is supposed to be that sec- you're supposed to pass bills. Through the, the lower house into the upper house to have that like that second review before it goes up for royal assent. So I think that there is a place to having a second house. But to your point, I mean, in for a penny, in for a pound. And so if we're going to reevaluate the 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 constitutional monarchy, maybe we should reevaluate our entire electoral system, or the you know not only how we call elections, our our voting process, but even you know you know Canada's government itself um but again that's that's maybe a discussion maybe not for us but maybe for the next generation i mean this is this is a very long process so
1: but do we still get a long weekend in may like is this yeah that's
0: i mean i don't want to lose my long weekend (laughs) so if i have to like pledge allegiance for a couple more years to like queen queen elizabeth and her great great grandmother queen victoria then Maybe that's one pro for, yeah. for sticking with the monarchy. So, Sean, I really appreciate it. This is the lightning round tonight. So I'm going to move on. And, and what a perfect segue. You, you you I don't know if that was intentional, but you talked about the Canadian government. So I want to zoom in a little bit more to our most populous province, which is the province you and I live in, which is Ontario. Very proud Ontario and over here. Ontarian? Ontarian. Yeah, I'm very proud of Ontarian over here, even though I frequently mispronounce the name of what I'm called, Ontarian. Um, and you know what, we have an election coming up, um, June 2nd and it's, you know, I've been watching some of the debates, reading some of the material online. And, and it's, it's interesting because what's happening is we're coming out of this pandemic. We're not out of it yet, but we're coming in, we're in repair mode, right? I mean, there was two years of damage done. Um, with these constant shutdowns, uh, lockdowns, where businesses were opening up, shutting down, opening up, shutting down, um, death, death tolls, hospital, hospitals pushed to the brink. Um, so much that that this pandemic did to negatively impact the world, Canada, and again, even zooming in like Ontario. So moving on to this next subject, the Ontario election, um, who do you think is best suited to uh, get us out of this mess and help rebuild um, the economy and rebuild the province after the pandemic?
1: Who is best? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's quite a question. Uh, You know, I'm not sure that I even necessarily haven't the answer to this, but um, this election I think is wild in, so many ways, some of which you just mentioned, the fact that it's coming, you know, uh, after, you know, half of uh, Doug Ford's term was in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. And, um, you know, some would say that maybe this is a bit of a referendum on how he handled that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is also wild to me that, uh, you know, as you said, the polls seem to suggest that we are uh, almost certainly going to have Uh, four more Ford years, Mm. and likely another majority government for for Douglas. At the same time, uh, there's only about 35 to 37% of Ontarians that plan to vote for Doug Ford. Mm. So, you know, back to the political system, like, how crazy is it that, you know, a third of the country, or not the country, the province a third of the province um is likely going to vote for the pcs and yet they are going to have a majority mm. in the uh in the in the house uh which seems at queen's park which is um which is that th- something's wrong there right
0: yeah yeah and i and i, I think there's a couple of things here i don't want to unpack it all tonight because i want to keep this somewhat brief although you guys know me by now i'm never and nothing's ever brief when it comes out of my mouth but to answer your question is the first past the post system flawed 100% do we need electoral reform in this country 100% both at the at the federal level and the provincial level um, do it do i necessarily agree with the fact that rural centers have much bigger voice per person than municipal, than than, than mm-hmm. suburban centers the i definitely don't benefit from that i'm still in toronto i mean i'm a little bit north i'm suburban but i'm not like you know give someone like my aunt right my aunt lives out in um, north of Hamilton, well, North of Hamilton, Burlington kind of area, like out in the country. So her bat, her ballot, you know, has a lot larger voice than mine does just by the fact that we don't have proportionate representation in the cities compared to in the boonies out in the, in the, in the, in the urban, in, sorry, in the, um in the countryside. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of areas where we could improve the, um, our ballot system, how we actually vote. Um, so, so number one, I do agree yeah. with you there, and and yeah. I think I think what makes us different from the states is the states has two main parties. I mean, there's people who are run as independents, and there are little tiny flound, flounder little parties here and there. But really, the two parties in the in the U.S. are the Republicans and the Democrats. Here we have the main the main two big ones are obviously the Liberals and the Conservatives, both at a federal and provincial level. But the NDP just like adds that third, you know, the, or that, that blaring orange voice, right. That's speaking for the people and they're even shifted over further to the left than the liberals are. And then on top of that, the greens have made some moves in the last couple of years and they've, they've started to get some traction a little bit, not, not as much as they could have, but the greens have started to, you know, fiercely show up a little bit more in the last couple of elections, just, you know, especially with climate change, climate change being a very, a huge topic right now. And so we, we essentially have our big three. You have the liberals, the conservatives, the NDP, and then the greens kind of fighting in the corner there. And, and so our, our system's a little bit different. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that someone could have the popular vote and still lose the election. Um, I mean, or,
1: or yeah, which, which is what happened with, uh, you know, you mentioned American politics. I mean, that's what happened in 2016 as well. Like Hillary Clinton won, far more votes, millions more votes than, uh, than Donald Trump did. But, but Trump, you know, was the president.
0: He's the, um, he's the electoral college.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's the same, you know, that's the same, uh, you know, it's a, the, the, same issue, like in, so in my riding, um, I'm in uh Toronto Danforth riding, and it is a sea of orange uh, oh, yeah. lawn signs oh, yes. <laughs> all around here. Yes. Yeah. It's a big, very safe NDP, um, uh, uh, uh riding here. And so, and, you know, regardless of who I, uh, vote for, um, and this is the case, not just in my writing, but anywhere, um, regardless of who I vote for, if I don't vote for the person who wins in my riding, my vote is essentially meaningless. It's not quite meaningless because there's some funding that's attached to percentage of vote and whatever, but blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but yeah, basically if I don't vote for the winner, then my vote doesn't, it doesn't shape parliament in, you know, in any like meaningful way. True. This is true. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is a problem. And yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are, I believe Canada at this point is one of the few um, like, you know, developed countries that still has this, I would say broken electoral system. yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and I also, I mean, when Justin Trudeau was elected, I forget when, but uh, a couple of elections ago, at least, uh, you know, one of his promises was that, that it would be the last first past the post election. Mm. Um, well, that was a lie, because mm. <laughs> uh, we've had um, others uh, since then. And so, I mean, that would have been at the federal level. But I also think that, you know, I would imagine that that would only spur you know, kind of, uh, trickle down, um, uh, you know, reform at, uh, at the provincial and possibly municipal level, um, as well.
0: Yeah. And you know what I, I could go, we could do a whole other podcast on this. Cause I, as I said, I agree with you first past the post is flawed. Um, and, and you make a good point that like, let's say like previously when I lived at young and Eglinton with my lovely, uh, fiance at the time that, that, I mean, Young and Eglinton and anywhere, you know, South going down into the downtown core and a lot of that surrounding area, central Toronto is a red stronghold. It is a liberal stronghold. So to your point, if I vote for anyone, but the liberals, it's kind of like, it's almost as if I'm spoiling my ballot just because it's statistically, it's very improbable that a lot of those like central Toronto strongholds would have anyone except for a liberal or for your, I actually used to live on the Danforth and I actually had the esteem, pleasure and honor, um, of voting for Jack Layden at the federal level in 2011, when he formed the the uh, leader of the opposition, um, shortly before he passed away. So I was honored and humbled to vote for such an amazing guy. And that was and, and you're right. At, at, you know the the Danforth is a sea of orange. so to your point, if you're trying to shake things up and vote conservative with our current system, your vote's going to be basically thrown out the window because you know there are there's there there are those certain you know, areas, especially in Toronto, where it's like, they are strongholds for one party or another. So I don't want to, I don't want okay. to go too much into electoral reform, because that's not really what sure. I'm here well, Sorry, go ahead. To, go ahead.
1: No, just to, to come back to your original question about you know who should be leading the 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 country, which is a, a fair question. Or not the country, the province. Um, the you know the the biggest province. I think forty percent of the GDP is uh, um, driven by Ontario, um, so it's a pretty big deal. But yeah, like I, I, you know, Doug Ford is almost certainly going to be reelected. Um, you know, the polls are pretty pretty set on that. Um, should he be? Uh, what has he done? In fact, it's interesting that his whole like campaign is a lot about here's what we're going to get done. Here's the things that I'm going to do. Vote for Doug Ford and I promise you this, 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 and this. Okay, well, you've had four years with a majority, and I understand pandemic. Sure, that obviously, you know, a few things probably uh, got pushed to the back burner. Since March 2020, but nonetheless, um, it's interesting that he's really not campaigning on his record. Like it's, it's, um, you know, it's a. Uh, I again, I'm obviously coming at this from a a left lean, but nonetheless, a lot of the things he he's done have been not good. I mean, he, you know, there was that whole thing early on when he cut. Uh, autism funding and all the parents are upset about that. Mm. Um, there, you know, there's the license plates that you can't see at night. There's, uh, you know, he promised Buck a beer and that really didn't happen. Actually, the only thing Doug Ford has done is put a weed shop on <laughs> on every store. I mean, and make are it. Are you are you criticizing that or? <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
0: Well, it's You're
1: funny kidding. because and like I don't understand what Doug Ford's obsession is with alcohol and uh, marijuana because he doesn't um he doesn't smoke or drink like it seems like why is he constantly pushing that but anyway so there's that so doug ford i'm not a fan in case you can't uh can't tell i think he's an absolute uh terrible terrible um uh premier uh andrea horvath i think i i, I think she would probably make a pretty good premiere she seems like at least um a human uh being she's like <laughs> empathetic and like that's sort of it was i don't think that about uh, bully Doug Ford. Um, Now that said, she won't like, there's just no way that she's going to, uh, uh, to win. And I think that she's probably been in that role long enough might be time for a new face there. And then Steven Del Duca um, you know, I, I I don't think he has done a very good job of sort of breaking through and I don't think people really know him or what he's about. Um, So, you know, I think that the most likely scenario is that, Doug Ford's going to be reelected and hopefully um, that will shake things up for the liberals and the uh, the NDP yeah. um, that they could bring in uh, you know a new fresh um, uh, leader that um, you know that could help shape sort of the political landscape uh, in the future that's that's my prediction.
0: You know what and he makes some fair points there. I mean I I'm, mean I'm, I consider myself, a centrist, and and, as, and I, I'll always come back to this, because um, something I'll say to Alex is that, not necessarily his influence, but I think maybe a little, maybe a little bit of his influence from having spoken to Alex, who is a little bit, he's center leaning right. Um, I used to be an NDP, like hardcore NDP. As mentioned, I, I did actually previously vote for Doug, um, Doug Layton. Wow, sorry, Jack Layton, which was huge. That was that that was a huge moment in my life. Um, being able to vote orange right in the stronghold of of the Danforth, which that was amazing voting for Jack Layton. And I, and I, and in my twenties, I was, I was very much a left leaner, but I think now that I've gotten into my thirties, they say as you get a little bit older, you get a little bit more conservative, which is not true for everybody, but I think I've gotten to that point where I would consider myself kind of center. And, and I, so here's my thing. Number one, I agree that like, maybe Doug Ford doesn't have like the longest possible list of, of accomplishments at the same time you did mention and, and rightfully so that maybe some of those things fell off his radar because he was trying to manage a pandemic. And, and I think one of the things that I have to give, one of the things I have to say about Doug Ford, um, even though I wasn't a huge fan of his to begin with in 2018, there was some controversy there, especially with him cutting down the members of of city hall from 42 uh, counselors down to twenty-five. A lot of people really didn't like the fact that he invoked like the Emergencies Act or whatever. No, the sorry, the not notwithstanding not, clause. Not clause. Yeah. So he used the notwithstanding clause, which is supposed to be reserved for like emergencies, and he kind of was a dick about it and like used it in a in a circumstance that wasn't really necessarily an emergency, just to like try and get back at some people potentially that he had vendettas against yeah. in city in city hall. So there was a little bit of controversy. But what I'll say, Sean, is that. I think he did the best he could to balance public safety and the economy during the pandemic. And not everyone's going to agree with me. A lot of people will shake their heads and say that either Trudeau at the federal level or Dougie at the provincial level could have done the X, Y, and Z differently. But I think when you have in your hands um, advice on one side from a chief medical officer who has to consider the health and safety of, you know, 10, 14, 15 million Ontarians versus small businesses, either thriving or dying. Um, That was a lot of pressure on him. And I think that despite a couple, you know, know, missteps here and there, I think overall, he did a pretty damn good job leading this province through the pandemic and making those tough decisions.
1: Uh, Respectfully, I disagree. Okay, but here's the but but uh, but I disagree. But um, because I think that uh, I, I think Doug Ford did a pretty bad job um, with the with the pandemic. And I was specifically thinking back to uh, I want to say it was around this time last year, March, April 2021, when, you know, everything was reopening and, you know, it's all going to be fine. Everything's and it, like the writing was on the wall that this was going to be a problem. And uh, with the uh, uh, whatever. Uh, variant of the virus was happening then. Delta, I guess it was, just as as the vaccine rollout was happening, and then we had to shut down and went into this stay at home order. And I mean, there, like, I think that it could have been handled a lot better. But, but, I don't think anyone did a really good job. You know, I, I you could sit here and say, well, you know, I, I think Doug Ford did a bad job. Um, but who did a good one? Like, what other premier um, yeah. in in Canada um, ha- handled it better? And so I think. You know, you might have a point that uh, um, uh, that he did okay and and I think that, Doug, especially in the early days of the pandemic did a really good job of just kind of getting out of the way, and just doing what the scientists and the doctors and the people that have dedicated their lives to studying, you know, epidemiology and infectious diseases and just taking their advice and, yeah, uh, and yeah. doing it. And, and so uh, were there missteps? Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's always easy to look back and, and, uh, and do that. But, um, you know, yeah, it, I, I don't think he did a great job, but I'm not sure that anybody did a great job. Maybe, and, and- maybe next pandemic we'll, we'll get it, uh, get it right.
0: And you know what? I, for, first of all, I hope that we don't have to ever cross this bridge again for a while. And, well, and I monkey think monkeypox. Now we got. I mean, monkeypox. <laughs> let's not even go there. Well, that's a whole other. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't even want to speculate on monkeypox right now. Um, yeah. The good thing about monkeypox, though, just on the brief side, is that you have to have very close contact with someone, which is which is different. The the with 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 COVID, it's a very much. It's it's yeah. a lot easier to spread. Anyways, I don't want to even go down that road. I won't go down that rabbit hole right now. I th- and I think the other thing is like you can never un- you can never say what would Steven del duca or mm-hmm. andre Horvath yeah. Horvath do because they didn't have to go through this so I think one point that I'm gonna trying to make is even if you and you and I agree like yeah there were some missteps or whatever. Yes, I agree that he did get out of the way. He did allow the the medical professionals to to do their work. And I think and I and I, I think like there's no basis of comparison because this is this is an unprecedented unprecedented event in Ontario and you know Canada world history. So it's like we were in uncharted territory and I think that you know he was trying to do his best to navigate it. But I, th- I think what I yeah. what I want to what I want to bring to the table now is like the alternatives. And and you're probably going to cut me down and I maybe you and this is a good thing because this is this is what the you know this is of you know the lockdown lowdown so feel free to cut into me Sean but um but you know look at Kathleen Wynn she she was you know in the last election she was still you know living in 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 the in the sh- not the shadow but he, she was she was, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the proper word, uh, the metaphor here, but she had to like live down like the, her predecessor, Dalton McGinty after that, after that mm. scandal, the yeah, gas yeah. plant scandal in, in uh, Oakville and Mississauga and the billion dollar price tag to cancel those, those, um, those uh, gas, gas plants. plants and, yeah. and, 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 and that, and the, you know, Ontario taxpayers having to, you know, foot the bill for these cancellations. And she, even though she wasn't directly responsible for that she was not the premier at the time it was Dalton McGuinty. she had to live in that shadow she had to live with the the ghosts of his of his uh, of that of his past doings there um at Dalton McGuinty, right and so she even though she had a majority I think a couple majorities in a row and the liberals were thriving the last election man like pardon my friend she shit the bed and like they lost provincial that sorry they lost official Party status, which is huge, yeah. huge. So the liberals. So I'm gonna go to two points, and then I'll, I'll 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 throw the frisbee back to you for for to rebuttal here. But number one, the liberals have so much trust that they need to regain. And I think it's going to be a couple of elections before they can get back into the place they had when they had a majority um, uh, a few, a few um, governments ago, um, because with that, that was one of the biggest upsets in the Ontario's history, seeing it go from a thriving government under Kathleen Wynne. And then in that final election, she was basically begging just to get reelected in her riding, And so she, and she, she admitted, I was watching the archival footage, from TVO, and she admitted defeat weeks before the election even was was you know the votes even started coming in, and so I, I think that the the liberals have you know after that 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 huge downfall in 2018 where they lost party status, they have to really do a lot of work to gain the trust of the Ontario people again. And Stephen Del Duca has the odds stacked against him, number one. And then if you look at Andrea Horvath number two, I'm going to, I'll give my sense on her, my two cents on her, and then I'll throw it back to you. Ender Horvath, I respect her. I, I think she's well-spoken. I think she's respectful. I think as a human being, like when I see her on TV, she's like col- most, for the most part, she's collected. And I could see her being like a kick-ass leader. Um, two things that I'm going to say why I don't think that will work. Number one, you have to look at 1990, the Bob Ray days. And I know that's 32 years ago, but I just think that was, that was the, I think the one and only time, correct me if I'm wrong, that the NDP has been in power in, in, in Ontario. And man, like that guy just came in at the wrong time during a recession and he put a really bad kind of taste in people's mouths for the NDP in the election. And then we saw, you know, um, Oh my God, Mike Harris, take the reins. So we went from a majority NDP over to a majority PC Mm -hmm. party in 1995 with Mike Harrison, man, that did the NDP, the the Ontario NDP under Bob Ray put a bad taste in people's mouths, especially teachers who were forced to take paid time off because of the, uh, the Ray days. And I'm sure you can appreciate that as a teacher yourself. So I, I so that's number my number one criticism of, uh, you know, they have that track record even 30 years ago of, of not doing a great job when they were, when they were in power in Ontario, the, the, the NDP. And then even now, I mean, we're coming out of this pandemic and what do the NDP like to do? Spend, spend, spend. And my heart goes out because I, you know, I have a cousin who works with people with autism. I have another cousin whose whose wife is a personal support worker. I have another cousin who's a nurse. So for Christ's sake, if there's one person who who appreciates, you know, and a lot of friends, like even like yourself who are teachers, right? So if there's one person who appreciates social services, I do. But from the bottom of my heart, the problem, Sean, is that, you know, like a corporation, you, you know, really the province is a corporation. And the corporation, the province of Ontario has debts, And if we continue to run a deficit and a larger and larger and larger deficit, it's going to be our children and our children's children who are footing that bill. So all that fucking mouthful said, I'm going to throw it back to you for your rebuttal.
1: Well, you're not wrong about like the, the ghosts of elections past haunting both the liberals and the NDP. You're absolutely right. Like uh, Kathleen Wynne, um, uh, you know, made some,
0: huge
1: huge miscalculations when it came to um to to that election and i I don't think she was necessarily i I think she did a fine job uh but i think that she really was out of touch with voter anger at the time specifically around the hydro and you know since uh, and just didn't seem to that just wasn't an issue that um that she tried to deal with in any way and i think really paid the price uh because of that and i think um uh, that said, uh, Doug Ford went in, fired the CEO, and nothing's happened. Our hydro bills are still high. So mm. I'm not sure um, uh, that he's done anything uh, meaningful there. Uh, but yeah, and then Bob Ray with it. So I I mean, I am uh, not old enough to remember Bob Ray being premier. And I was, I think, in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. He was
0: voted in in the 1990. 1990- election I guess it was. he was yeah. the 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 election happened in the in 90 and then he was sworn in I think in 90, 1991 and then and then uh the Mike Harris um took back the the Queen's park in uh 1995 coming in um with a PC majority
1: mm-hmm. okay so so yeah so all that is before before I was a voting age so I you know I don't remember any of that stuff but it's interesting because I had a conversation with my father. Um, you know, about a week ago. And uh, he went off on this like tangent about he'll never vote for the NDP because of Bob Ray. And it's like, well, first of all, as we just said, that was a long, long time ago. Um, But yet that is still like for, you know, Ontarians that are you know whatever 50, 60, 70 uh, years old that remember uh, the, the Bob Ray years, um, that's still that's still fresh. That's still um, you know, a, a, a thorn in, in their side. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, uh, I had another thought and I can't remember what it was. So
0: that's okay, man. So um, I guess I guess there was one other thing that I wanted to say just before we wrap up our election component. Um, again, I don't think anyone's perfect. I, I think Doug is very flawed and I think he, there's a lot of th- ways that he can improve. Um, I think for me, there's a couple more things they'll say. Number one, I think, you know, for me coming out of the pandemic, I want to see a sense of continuity. And so for me, I know that sounds like a cheap, like cop-out, but I think for me, it makes sense to keep the same party in power just so we, and, and have it and a majority at that. So we can easily work with the same people as we get ourselves, out of this giant hole that the pandemic has dug us into number one, no pun intended, Doug. Doug dug yeah, dug into. Into. And, and, and in the number, number two, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I love socialized medicine. I think that, that it's imperative to have um, support for, you know, social services, whether it's working with people with autism, um, long care and, and geriatric care, um, you know, education the list goes on and on and on um but we have there's one more thing i got to make one more dig into andrea horvath uh last year no not last year sorry last election 2018 four years ago she made she made a billion dollar error in her cost um in her costing of her platform now if you understand this that we have to have a reserve fund uh, in in the province every province has to have, have a reserve fund in case something happens and there's an unexpected cost kind of like when you're budgeting for your household and you're well oh i didn't know i was gonna have to have emergency dental surgery or that my kid's field trip was gonna cost whatever you have to have an emergency you have, have, you have to have a fund right a, re- a reserve fund right and she had that as an inv- as 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 uh revenue as revenue as yeah. opposed to having it as debt it's actually debt because it's money off the books that you're putting in a reserve fund so she made a billion dollar costing error do i want a premier of a province that uh, can't do math
1: <laughs> well i don't imagine it was her that did that but nonetheless uh she's the face of the party and and owns it and uh, yeah it, that would have been an, an embarrassing mistake for uh uh for anybody to make y- you know you said this a little earlier about you know coming out of the pandemic and you know maybe what you want is a government that's you know more fiscally uh, conservative uh, as opposed to a a spend and tax um, NDP or whatever it may be. But I'm not sure that that's actually accurate. I feel like that's kind of like almost at this point just kind of like a like an urban myth that the uh, that the PCs are are more fiscally. Um, you know, responsible. Doug Ford's campaign promises have been like he's announced like something like ten billion dollars worth of campaign promises just in the last you know few weeks uh, since since the election launched. Um, you know, currently Ontario is headed for another you know um, deficit growing. Um, you know, year this year. And obviously, with the pandemic, everything's a little crazy. But nonetheless, um, you know, Doug, Doug Ford's time in office has been a lot of spending money, and I would say a lot of wasting money. Um, I'm thinking about canceling the wind turbines, um, the, uh, uh, the, yeah, the license plate waste of (laughs) of time and money. Um, You know, there there have been sort of all these like things where, um, you know, the conservatives have, I think, wasted a lot of our A lot of our tax dollars. So I'm not sure that that is actually a fair argument looking at the facts and looking at at the record, but I could be wrong. Um, uh, One other thing I want to mention that is I find incredibly interesting and telling is that Doug Ford and his MPs are not participating in any sort of like Interviews, debates. Like, I believe Doug did a debate last week, but it was, he was required to do that debate. Anything that's optional, they're not doing. They're not answering questions. They're not talking to reporters. They're not, none of that stuff. And, you know, why is that? Why is the government that is trying to be reelected deciding, making a very calculated decision that it's better for them to say nothing? Than it is for them to open their mouth or answer um, or answer questions. Um, I think that that's uh, really disappointing.
0: No, and that's and that's fair. And so I, I, I will I will not disagree with you there. And that I think that you know politicians should be a little bit more transparent and, and be able to like you know, get, you know be in the hot seat in front of the press. And so I mean, that that's definitely a, a flaw um in in the way that he that him and his mps are approaching the election um i at the end of the day and i and i also want to you know acknowledge what you said about yes like the spending of of the conservatives has been a little bit greater in, in the last little while and obviously you know we have to look at the pandemic as an anomaly because you know we were trying to bail out big businesses big and small in whatever way we could oh, yeah. um now so so but um on that note,
1: like, I mean, like, like, that's the other thing, like you're talking about like deficit, like, but like deficits are not necessarily a bad thing. Like a government should, um, you know, when times are tough, or when times are uncertain, that's kind of the job of government is to sort of steady that ship. And that often means borrowing and spending money on, you know, infrastructure and uh, social programs, or whatever it may be, um, to sort of keep the economy sort of chugging along. And that's, that's, that happens at, you know, at every level. And, And so I'm so I'm not criticizing Doug Ford's spending um, on that stuff necessarily, although I don't think we need a new highway going through the green belt. That seems like a real waste of money. But, um, you know, like uh, but it is not like a deficit is not inherently a bad thing. Um, And, you know, paying for that, um, you know, borrowing to be able to spend money and keep the economy moving along, um, you know, is is important.
0: Yeah, and I mean so I think this is actually a, a perfect way to do you know to kind of bridge over to our third and final topic because again it in in my spirit, in my core, I'm like an NDP peer. The reason that you know <laughs> the reason deep, that
1: deep deep down deep, deep, deep down. down.
0: No, cuz as I said, like I be, I don't like this, the this system that they have in the states. It's like it's the strongest survive and the weakest die system where they don't, you know, you have to you, unless you have like I guess it used to be called Obamacare. I don't know what's called now, but unless you have some sort of like medical insurance, like you're pretty much screwed in the states. Like you are screwed if you need a major surgery in the states and you're not insured. Like you're fucked. At least here we have like, you know, emergency surgeries and 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 surgeries that are like medically necessary are covered. Uh, you know, if there's emergency dental care, you know, that has to be done in a hospital, that's covered. Uh, Visits to the doctors are covered. If you need medication while you're in the hospital, that's covered. Um, and so I would, I would not trade that for anything. I know that we're paying higher taxes and a lot of people, a lot of people bitch and complain about their income taxes or whatever, you know, the HST or whatever, but I'm, I'm okay with it because I would, and you know, I would always prefer a mixed market economy that has, where we do have a sense of capitalism, but we have a social safety net that's huge. And that, that takes, that's a big investment. I mean, whether, whether it's federal or provincial, it, you know, it's a huge investment in, in, uh, you know healthcare for example um and, and social programs schools whatever um i guess I, I, it's it's really tough because i, I have reservations around you know, building out new programs when we're already in a huge amount of debt. Again, whether that's, you know, federally or provincially, building out additional new programs when we have this much of a deficit, this much debt, I think is irresponsible. Um, But on the other hand, I guess I just, I'm just, I'm super conflicted about it because, like, I guess well, for me, for me, like, I want that fiscal responsibility right now, both at the federal and provincial level. Like, I want fiscal responsibility. Um, at the same time, like, I guess in my heart, I would love to see pharmacare increase spending for people with, you know, to help people with autism. You know, uh, dentistry care, universal, all that. So I'm gonna throw it to you. Like, what, what should we or could we be doing better? Um, with OHIP in this country to improve our health care system?
1: Well, I just did a quick Google um, to see, but uh, to have a baby in the United States, the average cost without complications, so just like a nice, easy, breezy childbirth, of course, they're all easy, right? Uh, um, you know, huh. is $10,800. <laughs> that's that's if nothing goes wrong. If you do have complications, it can be upwards of $30,000. Can you imagine <laughs> having a baby and, and not having insurance. And we don't need to get into the whole abortion debate. Then now you basically are forced to have a baby. And then if you don't have, that's a coverage, whole other talk,
0: that's a whole other podcast,
1: but that, but that is, that is wild. Right. And and that's that a, a baby, you know, you can somewhat sort of plan for that. Um, but you can't plan for a heart attack. You plan, can't plan for, for a, a car accident. You know, you never know when you might need healthcare. And you earlier on the podcast, you mentioned that you love our free healthcare. Well, i just going to correct you on that. It's not free, right? We we just pay for it differently. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. For sure. You don't get a bill when you go to the hospital, but instead we pay our taxes our whole lives and a portion of that goes towards um, healthcare costs. And by doing it that way, we actually keep costs down, right? It, it would cost more um, uh, if we're not sort of pooling our our money and stuff uh, together. yeah and, sorry, so, and I, I
0: and one thing I'll say I will correct myself there because you did you did it's not free. It's free in the sense that you don't you don't have to think about going to the uh, you know to the doctor's office and paying a bill because what we're doing is instead of an in individual being responsible for his or her you know health costs, we're all making each other respond we're all responsible for the well-being of ourselves as a nation
1: like mm, yes. And I think that, um, my opinion is on, a a pharma care program, uh, dental care, um, I care like all that stuff. Yes. Like public, all of that and just add it to the OHIP bill. Um, because, and here's why I say that first of all, um, you know, you might think, well, but I already have, you know, maybe you've got a great, you know, uh, employer, um, a benefit package that includes, you know, coverage and you get your eyeglasses for free and your dental visits only cost three bucks and, you know, everything's great. But the reality is you're also paying for that too. And so, you know, typically um, uh, d- depends on the company, but usually the company pays for a portion of your benefits and you also pay for a portion. But in reality, you're paying all of that, right? Like if the, if the company didn't have to spend x number of dollars on your benefits plan they could be paying you paying more, you more money, with
0: your salary that was a right? good point yeah yeah or, yeah, or
1: or or the business could be more profitable it could be expanding it could be hiring more people like there's you know all that mm. stuff so we're paying for it no matter what um mm. so i like the idea of taking insurance the insurance companies out of it and um you know and making it a, a um a subsidized you know social program like like uh, like oh is so that's my take i say yes all of those things should be covered because, you know, why is it, why is it okay that we pay for someone who, you know, gets, uh, gets drunk and falls down a set of stairs and breaks their arm, you know, that they go to the hospital, they get a free cast and, you know, not, not free, you know what I mean? Um, yet I could have a toothache through no fault of my own. And, you know, if I don't have medical coverage, then I've got to pay for that out of, out of pocket. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, yeah. it's, if it's healthcare, I think it should just be healthcare yes. and oral care. I mean, dental care, um, is one of the things as well that like is connected to so many other things. Yes. Like a, a problem with your oral health, um, can really lead to other medical issues as well. So again, by that token, if you're not dealing with those oral care issues, um, then it could end up costing us as a, you know, as a taxpaying nation, yes. more money in the long run because of these other problems down the road. So I think that on the like, let's just be, you know, be kind to everybody and make sure that we all can get healthcare as a right, um, regardless of whether it's in our mouths or, or elsewhere in our body. Um, and then I think that the mathematics of it probably are actually like work out pretty good in our favor. I don't have to my opinion.
0: I'm gonna call it because there's no point in me even rebutting because I actually agree. So uh, here's my thing. Oh, it's very complicated. So so again, just looking at the general idea of fiscal responsibility. Um I right now, in you know, I in the last couple elections, I have voted with my pocketbook and I have voted blue, you know, for the for the PCs. Um, whether it's the conservatives at the federal level, the conservative party of Canada or the, or the Ontario PC party, I, my, my, my vote is going to be going, you know, is going to be blue um, um, just from a fiscal point of view. But when I, when I think of I think about what we need as a society, as I have mentioned in previously in the podcast, you know, I have a, an aunt who's a retired nurse. I have her daughter, my cousin is a nurse. I have another cousin who's, wife is a personal support worker i have another cousin who works with people with autism so for me i get it and and i and it's one of those things like where it's it's not really a luxury it's just really a necessity of life like you know whether it's again you know getting that cast on your arm and not having to worry about paying a bill for 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 the for your hospital visit i think it's probably on par with again you know getting your teeth clean and making sure that you get x-rays on your teeth to make sure that you don't get like some horrible disease that's going to like rot out your mouth or or one that really gets me is like i'm looking at you and you're looking at me and what are we both what do we have in common glasses (laughs) and like gorgeous oh well not only are we both fucking gorgeous young men um (laughs) whose whose wives are lucky to be married to us um but on top of that it's it's, you know, I care. I mean, I, I can't think of any profession where, where you don't need to see like any any anything that in order to contribute to the society. It's pretty it's a pretty fair assumption that you need to see. Yeah. Um, So I would rank eye care at the same level as dental care because chewing and eating and 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 and, <laughs> and and seeing, I think, are all pretty fucking necessary parts of being a human being. And then the one other thing is like I have a couple conditions where i need medication and like again i'm i'm privileged with the fact that i have a full-time job with a good company i have a pretty decent benefit package so i don't really worry about paying a, a few bucks here or there to get my teeth cleaned or get new eyeglasses or get my prescriptions but man if you have like i have a friend who has diabetes and like yeah she gets help like on her pump and stuff and she gets a certain level of like help from the government but still she's paying she's still paying like I don't know how much it is, but she's still paying like a good chunk for her insulin, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that we were lacking, I think in, to sum up my position here, we're lacking in Ontario, when it comes to pharmacare, like when it comes to prescriptions, when it comes to diabetes care, where we could be doing a little bit more when it comes to dental care, we could be doing a little bit more. Um, and when it comes yeah, to eye care, it's like all those things are, are, are huge. Um, so I think there's a lot more we could be doing. Um, the question I'll put out there is like, is now as we're recovering from this pandemic and just trying to get our bearings again and get our economy going again and and and, and thriving again, is this the right time to consider um, y- making our health care more universal and expanding that into things like pharma, dental, and eye care? So I'll leave that question with you.
1: Oh, I would say yes, absolutely. Like, like, wh- why? If it if it makes sense when times are good, then I think it also makes sense when times are bad. And also, by the way, I'm not sure times are really bad. Like, the economy is actually doing like really well. Inflation is an issue, obviously, um, but it's an issue everywhere. Like, that's not something that uh, that is Doug Ford's fault or or Justin Trudeau's fault. It's uh, it's you know just a matter of uh, you know, global circumstances being what they, um, what they are. In fact, I'm even going to push you a little further and say, I think we should also have, um, you know, mental health care, I mm-hmm. think should be part mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of OHIP or or whatever it is, depending on the province you're in, but uh, should be taken care of publicly. And, and, I, and I think that it's one thing to say, okay, well, this is, you know, my, I can make the, the argument that like, that these things should be a right that you should have the right to healthcare and healthcare doesn't just you know start and finish at the doctor's office it continues to when you have your eye exam it continues mm. to you know and, and mm. eye exam speaking of like as well like that can also detect like even if you're not, you know, um, a dork like us with our glasses on. Hey, um, <laughs> I take
0: my, I take my nerdinesses. I prefer the word nerd. Thank you. That's sp- right, the okay, politically no. correct term. Yeah. The so nerds have got cr- their glasses. Nerds. Thank you very much.
1: Cool people have their contacts. No, and and so, um, but it can detect diseases and that yes, sort of thing that you can yes. can pick out. And if you, so you know, all these things are connected and they all have a cost. And I think that if you you know, look at that and think about like, you know, how much how much economic um, productivity is lost because of mm-hmm. people, uh, you know, battling depression without the tools to uh, to mm-hmm. do that. Um, I, you know, I can tell you that in, in Toronto, I mean, um, you know, uh, uh, psychiatrists and, and therapists, uh, you know, depending on who they are can be upwards of you know, $300 for a session for, you know, for like an hour, like thing, $300, $400 for for an hour, which um, is a lot of money. um, But it's, it is your health, right? And it is, it is, you know, important. And so I think that we should even go further than that, um, and cover that. And I think that I think that in the end, the numbers actually make sense. And it's sort of like the national um, daycare program uh, that Doug Ford uh, dragged his feet on, by the way, um, to sign on. And, you know, you can look at that and say, well, that's a lot of money. I mean, we're talking, you know, many, many millions and billions of dollars that uh, the federal government, the provincial governments are are putting towards this, this national daycare program to get costs down in every province except for Quebec because Quebec already has cheap daycare. But, um, you know, and you could say, well, that's a lot of money. Should we really be spending that, whatever? Well, the economics work. Because so many more usually women are staying home and not putting their kids in daycare, which means Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, entering the workforce because Mm -hmm. for them, it's like, you know, daycare in in Toronto, in particular, you know, can be two to 3000 bucks, you know, a month easily. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, well, why, like, why am I going to work? if my paycheck is mostly than just going to daycare, I could just stay home, spend more time with my kids. And that's what, mm-hmm. that's what happens a lot. So, you know, they've done the math and by having a, an affordable daycare program, more um, people enter the workforce and the mm-hmm. economic activity of that alone pays for the program. And so, and I think, you know, again, without having the data and stuff, but I, I think you would say the same thing. I mean, countries where they have, um, you know, a broader healthcare system, publicly funded healthcare system, than Canada does, uh, by and large, are a more like the, the um, their economies are healthier, their democracies are stronger, the people, you know, the, the citizens are are happier um, by and large. So I th- I think it makes sense from a moral perspective, and I think it also makes sense from a math perspective.
0: Man, be careful! You're turning you're turning me back into an orange supporter. <laughs> and I don't know how I feel about that. No, it's oh, one of those things. Like Sean, yeah. where I'm, I'm so, I'm, so, I've been so conflicted in the last, I'm going to say, two or three years. I've been so conflicted because. When I again when I was in my 20s I was like yeah Jack Layton like yeah like Howard Hampton or whoever like whatever whoever the person was at the provincial anyways I was very very orange I was like yeah let's spend you know you know support you know teachers who are dealing with students with special needs and need more support in the classroom or let you know let's get prescriptions covered for more young people whatever like I was always very pro that and I I think in the back of my head like I'm always going back back to that calculator in the back of my head and talking about the real costs and like the real like debt crisis that Canada and, and Ontario is in. Um, and, and it's, for me, it's that balancing act of morality and like, let's give everyone an equal chance and, and give healthcare to everybody who deserves it and um, and, and expand that versus. Okay. So who's going to be servicing this debt in 20 years? So for me, it's mm-hmm. like that it's, yep. it's a balancing act. And, 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 and one, th- one last thing I'll that I'll say is that the, the, the PCs, of Ontario, as well as the the the, the PCs at the federal sorry the Conservatives of Canada at the federal level, they ca- they have gradually shifted a little bit more center compared to where they were before. Um, both pr- you know, and I'm going to say that from a social pr- progressive progressive stance as well. You know, if you go back to like even go back to Andrew Shear, he was very you know we're talking federal here. He was pretty homophobic. Um, but when we when we look at like the shift now in the what, what would be traditionally known as conser- the conservatives in, in Canada, they, they're very much they're kind of on par with like the Democratic Party in the States. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Well, um, you are wrong and I will correct you. No, uh, the I'm not sure that I agree with that because, um, well, first of all, conservatism in like the Canadian conservative political movement has always been much more moderate, uh, than in the United States. Correct. Um, Correct. So, uh, just generally speaking, we are a more liberal, uh, country Correct. Um, by and large, and that includes all parties, but there is like a lot of movement, I think to the right in Canada, I'm thinking about the guy who uh, uh, just resigned last week, Jason Kenney, who um, mm-hmm. basically—I mean, he—he he was a very right, like capital R, right-leaning conservative um, as premier, and basically the party voted him out. And oh, he didn't vote him out. They fifty-one percent said you can keep your job, and he's like, "That's not enough. I'm out of here." But nonetheless, you know, he narrowly um, narrowly won that uh, leadership um, uh, vote. And it was really the 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 right leaning, the far right leaning elements of the, the party that basically said, no, you're not conservative enough. Um I'm thinking about Pierre Polyev, who is um right now like the front runner candidate to be the leader of the um the conservative party of Canada. Um and you know, he is you know like really pushing a lot of I mean, far right, like even like conspiracy theory stuff, um, and he, and like this looks like he's probably going to be the guy uh, for the Conservative Party Canada, and so I, you know, I think that in many ways the party is pushing. Um, more and more to the right. I'm so you're not saying that sure they're regressing.
0: That... They're they're regressing rather than progressing. Based on who could potentially come in, for example, if Pierre Polyev does. <laughs>
1: That's right. The regressive conservative party. There you uh, go. Uh, there uh, you yeah. go. Um, no, and I'm not sure. I, I, Doug Ford, I wouldn't put in that same boat um to give uh, a a little credit to somebody i don't like um you know he i mean it's wild because his own daughter is like a conspiracy like anti-vax uh wacko yes Um, yes and you know but and and i'm sure that that must influence him in some way but nonetheless um you know i think that uh, by and large uh i would say doug ford is is you know somewhat uh, more moderate at least than yes Mark Jason Kenny and uh um what's the the guy who' in charge of the wild rose party? I can't remember it, but anyway um so uh yes yeah, so i you know respectfully disagree i do think the conservative movement in Canada is pushing further and further right, to the right, right. overall uh, but we'll see and maybe that will you know i'm, I'm like um uh oh god what was the guy why can't, why can't I think of his name right now i can think of his chubby baby head uh the pr- previous leader of the conservative party of canada um, are you
0: talking about are you talking of canada that was uh, yeah. Andrew sheer
1: no a- after sheer oh,
0: after sheer uh oh my god why am i why yeah. am i i
1: can picture his chubby little baby oh my face. god you
0: guys you're making me you're making <laughs> me uh you're making me embarrassed right now
1: yeah yeah me well me too um so while well, you google that uh, but so, <laughs> while well,
0: you google that
1: <laughs> so he was um uh, you know, he really tried to bring the conservative party more to the center to say, you know what, if we keep going down, this Aaron O'Toole, road... you're talking about. Yes, thank you. Oh Aaron my Tula. God, we both yeah. had
0: a brain fart there. Considering we we're yeah. doing a podcast on politics, we didn't know that, but that's okay. Yeah. That's what that's what Google's for.
1: <laughs> he's he's someone I'm also happy to forget, but but you know, to his uh, to his credit, I guess you could say he tried to bring the federal conservatives a bit more to the center and say, yes. you know, we're going yes. right. We're going right. We keep going, you know, further and further to the right. We're not going to, we're not going to win an election like that. Yes. We need, you know, we need to appeal to a broader section of Canadians. Yes. And as a result was thrown out of the party, you know, like, yeah, he was perfect yeah. For, uh, for that. So, and, and then you've got, uh, yeah, like I said, Pierre uh, Polyev, um who looks like he's the, big time front runner for, uh, um, for the conservatives. So. And
0: you have to remember it. And you make some really fascinating points there. And I, I don't want to take too much more time on the episode, but I guess this is a good way to close it off um, the episode because there's, it's been really fascinating looking at like when we were in the Trump era, because don't forget like Canada always kind of lives in the shadow of the States in, in, in terms of all their politics. And we, we definitely as Canadians eat up their politics. Right. And so Uh, When I, you know, when Trump was in power, a lot of those kind of wacko groups kind of came out of the woodwork, and a lot of them were extreme right groups, white nationalist groups, um, I would even say white extremists or white, I wouldn't go as far as saying terrorist groups, but there was a lot of like far right alt-right groups that came out and kind of started spreading their hate and xenophobia around the states and i think that that canadians are not immune to that and we saw that unfortunately in canada as well um something that comes to mind was that horrific terrorist attack on the in, in 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 london ontario i think it was against the muslim family in london ontario is that correct
1: yes i believe that is correct so um so there's i mean yeah just yeah he drove like drove into a family yes um, yes this white supremacist yeah
0: yeah, not that i want to like bring up a horrific event like that at the end Mm. of the episode but since we did go there i will bring it up um can we're not immune to it we definitely have some like wacko ultra right-wing people With a couple of screws loose in this country, and we're and and in some senses we're no better in the states in that we we let it happen here. So I think you make a very compelling point, and you know about how if if we do you know allow allow a leader to come in who who is a little bit more right, and we do vote in a conservative government, and, and and I'm talking now especially you know at least in this point of time. At the federal level if if we have someone who's a little bit more right wing coming in what we there is a chance of us regressing as a country and and kind of giving uh opening up opportunities for those alt-right people right because it's a slippery slope so i do agree with you there i still am going to hold to my my point that i think as it is right now i mean we do have a leadership race happening with 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 the with the conservatives at the federal level right now but as it is right now um i think we've seen the progressives, the, the conservatives could become a little bit more progressive. Um, we've seen them on their shows. I mean, after um, shear came out, and then you know, he was shear was homophobic, but um, and I despise shear. Um, but O'Toole was was very openly pro um, gay marriage. He would never like try and push back on gay marriage, especially since it's like it's been legal for how many years, right? So I think I think that there's I think our Conservative Party is a lot more progressive currently than they have been in the past, number one. And then number two, you have to remember that there's, you know, the the the, the conservative party wasn't even formed until the, until the early 2000s. There actually used to be a split on the right. And so you had these different mm-hmm. parties. You had the Alliance Party um with Steve, with with um which was a little bit more right kind of blending and coming merging in with the P, with the progressive conservatives of canada to to merge to become um i think it was 2004 um the 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 merging of of the sort of far right with the with the with the, with the with the uh, center-right party coming together um, with Stephen Harper uh, almost 20 years ago, so we, we, there's been a lot of dynamic shifts within the within the right and center-right community in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I, I I still disagree that uh, <laughs> the idea that we've come more center. I think that uh, I mean when the um, that draft. Uh, leak from the Supreme Court in the United States about um, you know abortion being potentially um, you know Roe v. Wade being struck down, um, and time will tell whether that's gonna gonna happen or not. But I mean, when that happened um, here in here in Canada, the Conservative um, Party told all their MPs like don't say anything about it, like not a word. I mean, that was the direction. Um, I, I believe it was at the federal level. Uh, to not talk about it um, so I mean that's concerning I mean um, as a as someone who's you know pro-choice and and thinks that uh, um, uh, first of all that white men should not be deciding what women um, mm-hmm. do with their bodies but mm-hmm. uh, you know besides that point I mean so those those elements are, are still there and and to your point Aaron O'Toole uh, was very clear that he was um, you know had no interest in opening the abortion debate in Canada, um, but members of his, of his party didn't like that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that's part of, part of why he's, he's not there anymore. I mean, the guy was trying to bring the conservatives to a more broad base, to a more moderate mm. um, uh, uh, place and uh, and, and they kicked him out. So um, yeah, but you know, back to current election uh, I don't know who I'm voting for. I interesting, you can probably tell it's probably not going to be Dougie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, there's, and I I don't think there are a lot of really good, good choices right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This has been fascinating. And yeah. And I, and I just want to, you know, I'm going to have to, I have to really sit down and think like, I think, I think right now for me, it is going to be a Doug Ford on the ballot for me. And I'm going to reelect our, our incumbent here in, in North York who happens to be, um, you know, PC Um, I am, I am going to say that no matter what, there is a, there's definitely a shift happening. And, and as we've seen coming out of the Trump era and into the Biden era in the States that we've seen again, a lot of, a lot of political shifts, a lot of political divides in, in Canada and in the States, um, polarized politics, especially in the States, but also in Canada as well. Um, you're people, you're seeing people on the left and the, the, on the far left, as well as the far right, like, you know, colliding with each other. We've seen a lot of, a lot, a lot of divisive politics um, recently. Um, and so I, I think we're living in a very interesting time and, 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 you know, who knows, maybe if, if someone like Pierre Polyev at the, at the federal Uh, leveled is elected, maybe we will see that shift for conservatives to go back to more traditional conservatism, um, fiscally and and, uh, socially. So I I don't know what the future is going to store has in store. But for me at the provincial level, um, I just I'm going to vote with what I know, which is Doug Ford. Um, I know he's flawed. I know that there's a lot of things that he could have done better. But I just I feel like given the alternatives, given like the track record that you know, given what happened with the liberals in the last election, uh, given their track record in the last, in the, with the last couple of premiers, um, I just, I just think it's, I think that the one way to go right now is blue. Um, but that's that to each throw and for you, like living in the Danforth area and, and being right in the, in the, in the orange stronghold, like I more power to you if you want to vote orange, man, like I, and I voted orange before. So I, I think, um. It's it's a really difficult time and it's a really interesting time to navigate politics not only at the provincial level but also at the at the federal level here in Canada. So, mm-hmm. Sean, I appreciate you coming on. It's always a fascinating discussion. You always bring um, a breath of fresh air to the to the to the lockdown lowdown. And with our hosts. Um, being absent, I appreciate you stepping in and 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 taking on the conversation tonight. So so everyone, happy. I hope everyone who's listening had a wonderful Victoria Day weekend. Whether you're a monarchist or not, it's nice to have that 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 extra day off. So I hope everyone enjoyed their long weekend. If you want more political content or even controversial content about uh, about anything and everything, um, the lockdown lowdown is on Spotify. We're on the Apple music whatever podcast thingy that's a great term thingy and then we're also on facebook you can access our 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 recordings through facebook as well so this is uh andrew stubert and sean whalen our guest contributor signing off for now we will catch you next time